0: Welcome Welcome to Decision Space, the only podcast that takes place right here between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan. And I'm Jake. And this week is another What We Talk About episode focusing on a new thematic lens. So these episodes have been a longtime fan favorite, they're some of our most engaged with episodes. And Jake and I are are really excited, I think, to tackle this one, especially. But if you're new to the show, and it turns out there's a lot of people who are new to the show as of lately, uh, welcome. We're so excited that you're here. We broke into the top 100 games podcasts in Denmark on Apple (laughs) uh, and the top 150 in the United States on Apple. So that's like a pretty cool milestone for the show. But we wanted to be sure you know what these What We Talk About episodes are and what their goals are generally. So it's like we're trying to create a new lens to look at a decision space and also explain what we talk about when we're talking about a different subject. So this time, theme. how to do, Jake? I think you did great. Yeah, it's very much a, a
1: consider-the-lobster type approach where we start with one subject and then just scoop up everything around it. So so this week is Theme, uh, we kind of intersperse these more serious topics with the more fun ones, I guess, like uh, when we did previously our top 10. So, this is going to be a nitty gritty uh, deep dive into theme and what that means in board games and decision space. Uh, so, I mean,
0: if that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. <laughs> And I think that you should be excited because you will leave today, hopefully, with a new way to look at theme in games, which is something Jake and I always try to accomplish with these episodes to greater or lesser extents, and I think this week at least for me, my perspective on theme has really changed. So getting to share that with you all will be awesome. But before we get into that, we do have a review. This one is a review from a user named K9 in the Discord. He joined the Discord recently after discovering the show and I think listening to our Castles of Burgundy episode first and then Emotep and had lots of great things to say. But here's his most recent review. Brendan recommended I listen to the signposts episode and I was not disappointed. The best thing I learned was that I should use the idea of signposts to show new players what to look for and think about. It's a new way for me to think about games and how to teach them. Thanks for that. Thank you so
1: much, K9, for those kind words. Uh, and yeah, as long as people keep leaving reviews, wherever we can find them, you know, if it's in our Discord, if it's a review in Apple podcast. uh or, or anywhere else, Reddit, you know, if we can find them, we'll definitely include them in the show. Uh, You know, it keeps us going and, and makes us so happy to see that.
0: For all you pre-planners out there, all the players who like to play along so you can have experienced the games we discuss. Uh, as a reminder, coming up, we have Praga Kaput Regni, the Vladimir Suchi game about Prague and the building of Prague. Um, it's a big euro style game with interesting juxtaposition of choices and bonuses like we'd expect from Vladimir Suchi, designer of underwater cities and uh, a bunch of other games so that's coming up next week then after that we're gonna visit a game in the Board Game Geek top not 100 not 50 but I believe as of right now top 15 and that is Spirit Island Uh, that one's available Prague is available on Yukata to play for free and there's a Spirit Island app cost 20 bucks though but you can, da- you can like play half of a game without
1: Yeah, you can get a little sampler and learn the rules anyway, if you want to do that, and it'd be free that way.
0: Okay, so let's get into the meat of our discussion today, and that is taking a look at themes. So I wanted to start with a quick anecdote, which is a, sort of how this whole discussion kicked off, which was essentially this. Many times in my life, I have walked into a board game store, been at a board game convention, been talking about theme with someone, and it has come up where they've been like, what's a thematic game that you really enjoy, Brendan? And I've said something like, I really like Reiner Knizia's Modern Art. I think it's a really thematic game. Uh, and in concert, everyone around me goes, you dumbass. That is not a thematic <laughs> game at all. What are you talking about? There's there's no thematic mechanisms. This, there's barely a, a narrative to this game. It's just like a vague term. Um, Tigris and Euphrates isn't a thematic game. It's an abstract game. What are you talking about? And I think that that sort of difference between how I feel about some of Rainer Canizia's games and why I think they're generally fairly thematic in a way that maybe some games aren't uh, led to this conversation of why does it feel that way to me and why does it not feel that way to other people?
1: That uh, anecdote is so insightful and it gets to really the crux of this conversation we're having today, which is there are different ways to think about theme, different ways themes can be conveyed through games. Uh, And, you know, clearly through that discrepancy, you know, that's a perfect example of, you know, the kind of terminology that is just thrown around in board games Mm. uh, that don't really have a clear definition. And I think theme is perhaps one that there's no bigger.
0: I completely agree, Jake. And I think the best way that we could start off this week's uh, pursuit of creating this lens and sharing it with everyone is really just defining theme then so we can all be on the same page. Uh, And you have laid out what I think is a beautiful encapsulation of theme generally. So do you wanna, you should share it so I don't (laughs) pilfer your great idea. My definition of theme is quite simply
1: the subject of the game. What is the game about?
0: Yeah, and I think that that's really, really important. And there's so many, what we're going to get into is the different ways that games accomplish delivering on that subject, right? So if the theme generally is the subject of the game, there's so many different mechanisms that the, that a game can use and different types of theme that can contribute to fully realizing that theme. Um, I think it's also important that we talk about why themes exist. Um, and I think largely themes exist because they help us As players become immersed in the game and within the experience, they give us a language to understand some of the mechanisms going on. Um, They give us an environment maybe to help us uh, get our headspace, bring all of the cultural baggage that we have to a game based on past experiences with pieces of art that share a similar theme, right? When I come to a game about space exploration, I'm bringing a whole life of engaging with things about space exploration that are... Uh, sort of these built-in biases that designers can utilize as shorthand on ideas that are going to make it easier for me and everyone I'm playing with to be immersed in that environment and create a strong magic circle.
1: Absolutely. I think, uh, and and this is not to disparage theme at all, but in so many ways, it can be a shortcut. Uh, It can be a shortcut into learning the game, into understanding the game, a shortcut into, right, like you're saying, uh, engaging with that material so that not every single time uh, a designer sits down to make a game or we as players sit down to play a game we're starting from square one of like inventing you know a whole new universe of
0: ideas Which is so important too, because the like, as Jeff Engelstein says, the original sin of board games is having to learn the rules. So anything the designer can do to help make that easier is a huge win, because then the quicker we are experiencing the game itself, which is a huge aspect of it. I think also, this will probably be the last time that we touch on uh, games that don't have themes in this episode, but I thought now might be an important opportunity to just like Put it in the air that there's, of course, other ways that players can become immersed in a game than a game's theme. Uh, We're not trying to equate just those two things. So there's really awesome abstract games uh, that aren't just sort of classic abstracts like Go or Chess, but like Set the classic card game from the 1980s or No Thanks that really don't have a theme um, so much as are trying to capture an emotional idea or in the case of set, just really trying to create immersion through bringing everyone into this hyper-focused gameplay state that you're sharing that has nothing to do with an environment or fully realizing that subject. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit
1: hole, but I'm not sure I would agree that those games don't have themes, right? Like, I think you could say, I think this is going to segue very nicely into the first type of theme we're going to talk about now, environmental theme. Uh, And so I could think you could say, you know, the game of set has very, very low or no environmental theme, but it still like has a subject, right? The game is still about collecting
0: sets. To your point too, I think No Thanks is a game where the name is giving us a feeling excuse me, that it is wanting you to, it's preparing you just with that little tiny bit, the title, uh, preparing you for the feeling that you might feel while playing this game and the headspace that the game wants you to be in. So even in the slightest way, I think, yes, there is a a few droplets in the parts per million of theme there.
1: And I think let's table that here. And I think uh, at the end of the episode, when we're kind of going through our categorization of themes, that might give us the opportunity to bring this up a little bit more uh, in and around
0: some other examples of where themes may or may not exist. Awesome. That sounds great. So as we get into it, there's really going to be these three major buckets that Jake and I have identified that help Sort of convey the subject, convey the theme of a game that all bring games different types of feel in terms of their theming. So, as Jake alluded to, the first type that we have is really the environmental theme. Uh, this is the narrative of the game, right? It's the and it's what what's this game about? It's the extent to which the game subject is portrayed through all of its presentation, its art, its title, its flavor text, its production. Uh, everything around the aesthetics of the game and the game's narrative that tells you what the subject in nuance is, right? Because the subject can be a lot of things. So the environmental theme is a more focused take on how it relates to that subject.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And uh, not at all to disparage environmental theme because it's incredibly important to the way we experience a game Uh, But I think another way you could think about this is it's all the thematic elements of the game, everything that points to the subject of the game that doesn't actually impact the rules of the game in any way.
0: And I think that that's something that's really unique to games. And a lot of times when people talk about theme, we're so used to discussing theme in other types of art, whether it's books or movies or comics, that I think people's brains, because we're Practiced with this language, default a lot of the times to thinking of theme in its most basic way as the environmental theme of a game. But the cool thing about games is that they go beyond that and they have ways to convey their theme beyond just the environmental theme. So I think partially the conversation of like, no, I think we'll go back to that anecdote a lot of the Reiner Knizia is people getting caught up and saying, what what are you talking about? Like, there's not very much theme here. The game's just called tigris and euphrates and then everything else is abstract and the board's pretty simple and there's there's not a lot of flavor in this game and i think that's a hang-up
1: wherever you're hearing theme i think mostly people are thinking about this category i think Mm. environmental theme is kind of the predominant way in which people are thinking about theme right now i think that some of these other two categories are certainly being intuited by people uh you know when they say a game is highly thematic uh you know they might be intuiting some of these other things we're about to discuss now but i think in general you know when people say okay i like that game's theme or i don't like that game's theme they're thinking about these components like what the game's about what's the art and like what is the subject of the game
0: totally and it's so hard to know what a game's theme really is without playing it too because all games have a perspective even if you um even if they don't set out to and without playing the game you don't fully understand the theme you can't just understand a theme from its environmental uh theming though to lesser and greater extents games might portray theme through these next two buckets that jake and i are going to talk about and we're going to talk about examples of all of these games a little bit later on the show and dive deeper on each of these buckets but in introducing them, the next two buckets are both gameplay-related theming. So these are two ways in which games convey theme through their through their gameplay. And the first of which is mechanical. Um, so if environmental is the narrative of a game, this is the metaphor, right? It's all the things within the gameplay that are symbolic stand-ins for what is happening with the subject in terms of action, right? So the extent to which the game simulates the subject. So a lot of times... You might think of that in terms of a lot of Euro games have high mechanical theming right? My brain first, a lot of the times, goes to like farming games where what you're doing, so much of the mechanics are stand-ins for creating and producing things. Um, Underwater Cities is another game that we've talked about where this is a pretty mechanically themed game. You're building tunnels, you're producing things uh, that are giving you an input for your civilization to continue to build more.
1: Agricola is a great classic example of this, right? You know, what are the actions of this game? It's like, okay, you're baking bread, you're building fences, you're, you know, adding breeding animals, right? All literal things that simulate the subject of the game, which is building a farm.
0: And I think that highlights on the point that mechanical theming when it's done right or when it's done really effectively is usually about is what I would imagine I would be doing in this theme mechanically aligning with what I can mechanically do in the game, right? So if it's a farming game, if and it's presented as that, that's the subject, and I'm, you know, within the game there's a mechanic where I can play video games maybe that that works really well, but it's it would feel discordant that within the subjects of that game, my expectations of that being an available action as a player, that feels off in terms of the presentation, right?
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, I think too, this gets a lot as like intellectually, you know, it makes sense. Like I'm able to connect mm-hmm. the rules of the game to that subject uh, through, through what I'm doing. Not that, you know... It, of course, you know, there's always going to be shortcuts in every single game, right? Nothing can be a perfect simulation. Um, but it's, it's that like effort to simulate things, uh, as opposed to
0: not. I think another way to think about this one too is like if you're playing a a space exploration game, to use another example, and you're going to upgrade the engines on your ship, you would expect those engines to like increase the speed at which you can travel or the maneuverability of your ship, but you wouldn't expect enhancing your engines to increase your combat or to increase your ship's defenses, right? So, and a lot of games like understand mechanical theming enough to to not make that mistake, but that would be really bad mechanical theming if. Increasing your engines made your attack better. Right. Perfect. So we move
1: on to the our third category of theme, and this also falls under that bucket of gameplay theming. Uh, and this is decisional theme or decision space theme. And that's the extent to which players feel like they are enacting the subject of the game while playing. Um, and I think of all... Of what we're discussing today this might be the one that is like a little bit more controversial so i think we want to spend a little bit of time to make sure we're clear in what we're talking about
0: here yeah definitely and this is probably the maybe the freshest perspective so really this is a subset all of these theme types of theming contribute to one another i think that's another really important thing for us jake and i to just say off the bat um but the presence of some of them is going to impact how the others feel. And in terms of decisional feeling, right, how does the actual choices and decisions that you get to make in the game make you feel like that premise is being delivered? So to go back to the render kanitsi example, even if the theme is pretty low, in a game like High Society, where the most pivotal rule is, if you spend the most money, you can't win the game, even if you've collected the most points. That, to me, feels like very strong decisional theming because... I feel like I feel the tension of being in this community of players where we're all trying to chase getting the most points or sort of the mechanics don't line up perfectly but like purchasing these really extravagant things to like ball out and look like we're the wealthiest member of society but you've actually spent your most money then you're you're not winning so you feel that tension of wanting to overstep what you're actually capable of doing to appear greater than you are but knowing that in the long run to be the best member of the high society, you have to have the most points and you can't have the least amount of money.
1: We'll discuss this uh, more in in just a second about what kind of makes decisional theme stronger or weaker. Um, But to to put a point on it here, I think we've defined decision space itself before. uh, A a brief definition of it would just be the experience of choice in a game. Mm So this is, you know, to what extent that experience, that subjective experience of choosing what to do in a game feels thematic. It feels like you are th- in making those choices, enacting uh, that subject, right? If, if it's Agricola, right? We talked about how the rules do intellectually connect with the subject. It's simulating that in that way. This would be one step further do I feel like I'm farming? Do I feel like I'm managing a farm?
0: And feel is the big word with decisional theming. That's that's if you're going to take away one thing, take that away. Does the game feel like what it sh- what I imagine it might feel like to be com- enacting a subject, right? Um, and some games there it will just that won't even make sense, right? Games that don't have a lot of decisional theming, you'll be like, what are you talking about? There's no decisional theming in this game. But another example when Jake and I were talking about this, right, is like you could imagine a submarine game where the mechanical theming of that game is really great. You can fire torpedoes. You can look at your radar. You can do all these different things. But if all of the other systems within the game don't align to actually make you feel like you're being the captain of a submarine, then that game doesn't have great decisional theming. And there's different way for all of those mechanisms to come together to create that, whether it's the way the scoring happens or the turn structure or the way that you're interacting with other players that create this sort of decisional experience of the decision space overall that makes you feel like you're making the choices that you might make in real life versus making the choices that are right in the game.
1: Yeah, and I think Submarine is actually like a a really great example because uh, well, I'm not very versed in wargaming, right? There are wargames about operating uh, submarines that are like super technical, like super simulation based, um, and go much further to simulate that experience and and have much stronger like mechanical theming than a game like Captain Sonar. Mm. Um, but Captain Sonar, if you've played it, is is like a quintessential example to me of strong uh decisional theming and a a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's like you're communicating with a crew you have a specific role you're interacting with your opponents things are happening in real time like you have to act quickly uh and all those elements together uh create this really strong sense that you know i am the first mate and like my captain is an idiot (laughs)
0: yeah Totally. No, exactly. And the stress of that real-time nature of that game and being in that actual environment and how that feels, definitely. And I think as we continue this conversation and start to discuss maybe what makes mechanical theming or what makes decisional theming uh, effective, I think we'll skip that part of the conversation for environmental theming because it's That's just like a conversation of aesthetics and like what makes art effective. And while that's a really interesting and important conversation, I don't know that our podcast is the best podcast to dig into it. Um, But I think as we cap this off, the two other points are really within these contexts, all these three categories, as Jake said, of environmental theming, decisional theming and mechanical theming. Theme is a spectrum. You can have a ton of one of these and a little bit of two of the others or a ton of all of them. Uh, And also all theme serves that subject, right? So no theme is successful if not for its relationship with how it informs your experience of the subject itself. You can't look at theme in a vacuum. It always relates to that core idea of what is this game about. Uh, So should we
1: jump into a discussion of what determines how effective mechanical theming is first? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so you know we've we've tried to come up with some a list of some ideas for what we think serve to highlight uh, or make mechanical theme strong uh, in a game. So sort of the the first one is are my expectations excuse me are my expectations of the experience of the subject delivered on by the core actions available to the player. So this is the mechanical premise of delivery.
0: Totally, and this is what we we talked about a little bit before. Of like in a farming game, do I am I mechanically doing the things that I would expect to do in a farming game? Do I have available actions that feel right given the subject of the game? Or this is also like we were talking about with the spaceship engines. Of like when I upgrade my when I get a sword to give a different example, is that sword making me more effective at offense, or is it you know? In this game, maybe you can imagine a game where, like, you get a sword and instead you become much better at becoming an eloquent speaker. That's going to be a really weird mechanical theming where it doesn't even sort of makes sense and there's a breakdown between your expectations of that mechanical premise and what you can do happens and i think that one of the best examples of strong mechanical theming in a game or like a core baseline example that i always go back to when thinking about mechanical theming is flying and magic the gathering Uh, i think this is one of the mechanics that's the most clear when you're teaching someone magic the gathering if you've taught them the core rules of combat sort of and then you say to them okay there's flying what does flying do and you think, okay, well, you go over all the things without flying. They can't interact with it because you're up in the air. To your
1: point about ever, all themes being kind of connected to the subject of the game, I think a lot of times like mechanical themes can be uh, re- really clever and serve to, to reinforce uh, the environmental theme of the game in, in a really strong way. I, one example we've talked about before on uh, on this podcast uh, uh, that, that really like, you know, it's just like a small little touch. It affects the rules of the game, but it really just like elevates everything is the uh, magnifying glass and mm. journal in Arnak where you can't ever move your journal ahead of the magnifying glass up the research track because, and that's like reinforcing this idea that as archaeologists, you have to like first look at an object before you can record it in your journal. Uh, and it's just a cute little touch that makes total sense uh, with the subject of the game that, that kind of highlights. you know, it, just, it makes intuitive,
0: intellectual sense. I'm so glad you shared that too, because that's a mechanic where if it was like, you can't move your red marker up further than your blue marker, all of a sudden there's this extra rules baggage that's hard to remember. But once that idea clicks, like, oh, I have to look at stuff before I write it down, all of a sudden... It, it's just so intuitive and that's what strong mechanical theming done well does for a game is it makes you intuitively understand how the rules should vaguely be working as a shorthand to get to play the game faster. Definitely. Okay, cool. So let's do a similar thing for our decisional theming, which I think we might delve a little bit deeper. And I think in determining how how does effective decisional theming happen in a game and what does it look like? Um, and I think for me, the biggest thing in terms of thinking about strong decisional theming in a game, how much does the game feel like what I would expect it to feel like or want it to feel like, is how effectively do the gameplay incentives lead to behavior that feels thematic to the subject, right? So is the game enabling me to do the things that feel like what they should be doing, right? So uh, I don't know. In, say, like The Resistance, as a spy, I am incentivized to deceive the other players because if I can convince someone else that a different person who I know is not a member of the resistance is a member of the resistance then I will be suspected less so the mechanics of that game and the magic circle that it creates and everything is incentivizing me to act like a spy who has actually infiltrated a resistance uh, because if I was just passionately truthful um, it would be horrible Right. I couldn't even play the game. And then the flip side is as a resistance member, Jake, like you're it it doesn't behoove you to lie. You just have to do your best at telling the truth.
1: Right. Yeah. I think that is such a perfect example of this Um, because, you know, that's such a simple such a, you know, a simple idea in the game. Um, But to play the game well in the resistance, it forces you to get into the role of the agent within the game. And and when you're making the decisions right? who to trust, you know, is this person my friend? Is this person, you know, secretly uh, spying on me? You know, it's like that is it. That is exactly the experience of the subject of the game.
0: It should be no surprise that both Jake and I think that The Resistance is a game with high decisional theming. You really feel like it. Another way to think about this is... uh, despite there being verbs in the game, right? Like what you can do mechanically, the actions of the mechanics, how much do, how those mechanics are implemented actually feel like what you're doing. So to use another example of Arnak, in Arnak, you explore in that game, you find new locations on the board. But when I'm finding new locations on the board or discovering them, I don't really feel like I'm discovering new locations or making discoveries. I just feel like I'm flipping over a tile. So the mechanical theming is pretty good. I'm discovering something new, literally, but it doesn't actually feel like I'm discovering anything or even exploring the setting of that game, which is a jungle on Arnak. So that's an example of sort of low decisional theming. It just doesn't quite feel right.
1: You know, it's one of the things too, where I think with mechanical theming and environmental theming, you know, through like, it's pretty you know, it can be designed to, right? Like you can spend a lot of time and effort, like getting the right art, and, you know, writing a great narrative uh, to where most, you know, most people would say like, yeah, that's like a strong environmental theme. And I think the same is true with mechanical theming, where it's like, you know, if you do research into the subject mm-hmm. and you make sure, you know, all the actions are, you know, historically appropriate with the period and, you know, so on and so forth like you can kind of get it but it feels like with decisional theming there's like less of a secret sauce right it it, it just feels like there's it's like the combination of the parts and sometimes there is that magic and sometimes uh, there may not be but I think one of the big elements that you absolutely have to consider uh, when thinking about how effective the decisional theming is, is the interaction between players. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I just think that is like such a rich moment where the subject uh, of the game is is enacted by players,
0: right? And it is a part of the decisions or not. I have a reason why I think that is, Jake, too. And I think that a big part of that is because a lot of times, when we're interacting with other players, is a way in which emotion most likely comes into games and enters into the games, and it gives it a level of texture that you're not going to have when you're just interacting mechanically with the, with systems, right? So the ability for a game to make us feel things increases so much more when we're the game encourages us to encourages the simulation to in part B by acting a specific way in the magic circle towards someone. Uh, within the game. And it's probably a way that we're not used to acting with someone else, like the resistance to go back to that example. I'm not used to lying to my friends. So I get to feel what that feels like when I play the resistance in a way that feels incredibly thematic and deceptive. Like the resistance makes my heart beat still to this day (laughs) when I play it, right? If I'm a spy, I flip over that red card. All of a sudden my heart's palpitating and I'm feeling stressed because I'm, I'm doing something where I'm trying to gain the trust of people that I don't deserve it from. Um and so the the way in which games when they bring in uh interaction with other players, I just think all of a sudden you're instead of painting in black and white, you're painting in color. If you think about just the difference
1: emotionally between making a trade with a player in a game or or buying a good from a player, you know, in the game compared to buying a good from a, a common supply, there's something like so much more like textured and nuanced about that interaction with a person, you know, you had to like form an alliance with, with someone, right. You have to make them feel comfortable that like this trade is going to be beneficial to them as it is to you. Uh, and like, what is that? If not like actually you're role-playing your agent in the game mm-hmm. in some small way, you know, even if it's just like, A momentary little thing in 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 what's like a much larger you know dry tactical euro game like the fact that you had to say like listen you know okay yeah i could really yeah you know oh i don't want to get rid of this property but it's pretty good to me but you know i guess if you could give me four bucks for it'll be you know good for both of us that kind of like nuanced conversation, that interaction, engaging with the player from the perspective of yourself, like your agent in the game, you know, that's going to be, bring out that uh, thematic decision so much more than the kind
0: of the dryness of interacting with the bank. I think totally. And I think we've all played games before where the decisional theming goes wrong in a way that is funny. So a lot of times when people will think of a, a really strong a game with strong mechanical theming, has a strong subject. I'm going to go back to the spaceship theme because I think it's going to be useful once again. So we're going back to the engines. Let's say in this hypothetical game, the mechanically, the systems allowed me to... I started with a, a base set of engines that I could upgrade throughout the game, but I also have the ability to sell my engines and still move through space. So I make the decision to just, like, offload my my engines. My ship has no engines and I can still move. I just don't get a modifier. Um, that might be really funny, right? Like, I'm, I'm doing something as the captain of that ship. I'm like, let's offload my engines. We don't need these anymore, right? And that's a moment where I think we could all sort of, that feels familiar to a really mechanical game, where, like, the decisional theming of, like, okay, if I'm actually a, a, a sh- captain of a ship, I'm not going to sell my 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 engines or my sales because i need those um but if the game lets you do it and you could still win that's an example of the decisional theming not really working with the game's incentives
1: something else that kind of gets to like when if is this working like does this game have strong decisional theme or not it has to do with the communication at the table um, and and this is something that it could be actually part of the mechanics of the game right Like controlling. Mm. Uh, communication limits in some way and i think that could actually be an effective piece of it in some ways but also it's just the way players are talking right if if you're you know playing a game i don't know set in space and you know you're talking about dollars and victory points that's like a bad sign for like are people really getting that thematic decision making experience whereas you know if you're talking about you know ion cannons and uh i don't know like amethyst gems or or whatever uh that i think that's like cluing you in that like players are adopting you know that role in the game and you know even if it's not like a role-playing game you know i think games can be strongly have strong decisional theme without you know having any role-playing elements at all uh but like when you hear people using the terminology of the game kind of like unprompted and talking about uh, the game mechanisms in that way, it kind of clues you in that like,
0: as people are making decisions, like they are thinking in that theme. That's an example of the decisional theming being strong too, because the objects within the game have like moved past in the player's minds them just being game pieces. They've been imbued with that like totemic power of being an ion cannon or a piece of amethyst or this prize calf that like feels special. I'll also add to this point of communication, I think this is why games like Uh, limited communication co-op games can sometimes feel like the decisional theming is really low. So I really like and enjoy the game Hanabi quite a bit, but I don't feel like I'm building a fireworks show with everyone else at the table because we're just sitting there quietly. Like there's no, right? Like that doesn't really, and we're not sitting there quietly, but I I don't have agency. I don't have information about what's in my hand in a way that I might if I was doing that actual activity with someone else.
1: I think that's true, but counterpoint, I think, and this also maybe speaks to the fact that really to get at this decisional theming, it is the sum of all its parts. I can think of several examples where limited communication really increases the decision, decisional theming for me. Um, and actually let's use that to kind of transition into our next sort of topic here where we think through, uh, some, or, or should I give the examples now? Would that make more sense?
0: Whatever works for you. Both both sound good to me. We can leave them with a cliffhanger or we could just hop right into it. Okay, let's cliffhanger. <laughs> okay. So I guess this next idea too is the idea that the how effectively the mechanical theme is implemented can increase a game's decisional theming. Uh, but it's of course not the only way to accomplish this. So to give an example of this idea, uh, I find the room mechanic in Grand Austria Hotel that's an example of a mechanic. I'm moving my patrons from our little cafe where they came for lunch into a hotel block within the hotel that actually makes me feel like I'm running a hotel because I'm putting people into rooms. I'm opening rooms up uh, in a way within the game. You prepare rooms, right? You prepare rooms at a hotel, you have to clean them. And then you're stashing your little patrons away into them. So for me, that's an example of an aspect of the mechanics of that game that actually increased the decisional theming. I don't totally feel the aspects of like preparing food in that game Increase the decisional theming, really. Like, I can take these cubes, but not these cubes. And it all feels pretty mechanical and dry and like a game, but not like what I think I'm doing, which is cooking food and preparing food for people. But putting people in rooms, great. I got it. I feel like I'm a hotel manager.
1: Maybe another example of this is, like, if you compare a simple train-laying game, like Ticket to Ride, to Mm. a simple train-laying game, like Iberian Gage, that I recently played, Like, it's no question that the decisional theme in Iberian Gauge is so much stronger. And I think the reason for that is, uh, that, you know, you become a partial owner of a train company with somebody else at the table or multiple other players. So it's not just a matter of building your own trains, right? Which is totally internal. You have to work collaboratively with people. Uh so it just just that simple touch that I'm going to put one train mm-hmm. segment down and then somebody else is going to have the next opportunity to do that like it forces me to collaborate with them and say like hey Brendan like I'm thinking about moving here towards this city how does that you know work for you and then you might say that's great and and you're lying to me <laughs> cuz <'cause> you want <laughs> you know you want me to waste my resources and you're going somewhere else or maybe we are collaboratively working together but like in that moment like we are co-managing this train mm. company um, where, you know, in Ticket to Ride, it's just me. I'm just doop, doop, doop. And yeah. then I'm going to build the next one over here if I can.
0: It's so interesting, too, in the way in which like 18XX games like Iberian Engage, which I haven't played before, but I would love to, by bringing in like an economy and shared ownership, it, it's simulating the same. The subject is the, the same more or less trains, but it just allows you to experience a different aspect of that in a more real way, like the shared, the actual business environment of trains being built. So cool. And I think too, Jake, one thing that why people often say that for me, why Reiner Konitsia games don't feel thematic is because I think a lot of his games have really low mechanical theming, but actually high decision, decisional theming. So I think that in games like um, modern art, where you're do you're buying and selling paintings, sure, but like my player board is a museum. So am, am I an art trader? Am I a museum? I'm not displaying images, and when I do, I'm selling them. Why am I a museum hawking these artists, uh, these images? Like it doesn't make a ton of sense, but the the way it relates to the core idea of like simulating the uh, modern art feels right. Like I'm buying into these artists when they don't have a lot of reputation and then I'm trying to boost their reputation up and I'm excited when more people are buying their paintings because then I know they're going to be more valuable. I think another, so the mechanics aren't aligning, but the feel of that modern art environment for me really is. And I think another example is a game like Blue Lagoon. Blue Lagoon is a game in which you're playing as these uh, different peoples uh, settling onto archipelagos, uh, like Polynesian, moving between these islands. And I think in a lot of games, when someone was going to tackle this theme, they might say like, okay, you have to collect this much wood and you have to make sure this much water is nearby. And these are the rules for canoeing between islands. And then if you have this much wood and you have the ability to build fire, you can build a settlement. And then and Reiner Knudsi is like, no, I'm not mechanically interested in anything like that. The mechanics of this game are that you're going to place out these little chits that represent your civilization, and you're going to move across all of these islands and you'll collect these little resources. Um, But for the most part, mechanically, the game is kind of like a go variant. You're just one one per turn. But when I play Blue Lagoon, I actually feel like I'm creating society that's stretching across multiple islands I feel like I'm collecting resources and I'm I'm struggling against different societies in a way that I might actually do in real life as I'm pressing up against each other and blocking each other so I think Reiner Knizia's games have really high decisional theming but usually pretty low mechanical theming in a way that doesn't truck with how a lot of people think about theming Um, and I think it's also because a lot of Reiner Knizia's theming is more metaphorical uh, where you're not Mechanically doing what's literal, you're doing a stand in for it, but all of the systems come together to make you feel like the idea of the game.
1: And I think we'll be talking about uh, even more uh, Reiner Knizia games yet <laughs> as we move into the last part of our episode here. And I think this is, I'm really excited about this because, you know, we've presented this new way to talk about themes, right? It's not just theme anymore, it's environmental theme, mechanical theme, and decisional theme or decision space theme. Uh, <laughs> and so if, if that's true, right, that there are these different categories, there are these different ways we can uh, categorize theme and, and think about it. We should be able to come up with examples yep. uh, that fall into different categories. So what we're going to try and do now is present to you examples of games uh, that, that fall into different binary categories. So the first is environmental theme where a game could be high high environmental theme or low. Then it will be mechanical theme. And once again, right, it's a binary. It's either high or low. And then finally, decision space theme, high or low. So we're gonna try and categorize games now that fall into categories ranging from high, 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 <laughs> all the way to
0: low, low, low. Uh, does that make sense, Brendan? Makes complete sense. And I think as long as we interject what we mean by the first, second, and third, every once in a while, people will track with us. So I I want you to lead this example because you're really excited about this one. And I think it's a perfect example for a game with high environmental theming, high mechanical theming, and high decisional theming.
1: Awesome. And and also a game that a lot of people are going to be familiar with. And that is the beloved uh, award-winning cooperative game Pandemic. Uh, so I just think this is a no-brainer, right? Environmental theme is a slam dunk. Like you are perfectly, you know, situated in the game. You know exactly what it's about. You know what's going on in the world of the game. Uh, mechanical theme makes sense, right? Like you as the CDC director are, are sending these agents around the board. Uh, you're, you're working preventatively uh, as much as possible. And you're also doing uh, cleanup uh, for uh, what, you know, builds over, right? What, what breaks through the preventative efforts that you and your team are coming up with? Uh, and then finally, like decisional theming. I think it works here because of, you know, the way that you're engaging with this game, right? You're, you're familiar with the map. I think that's a key point. You know, you're familiar with the world. You understand what that might be like. So when you're making decisions throughout the game, right? You're thinking like, okay, we're going to send our agents to, uh, these real places, you know, these people have like different expertises. I just think it's so easy to get there. And then all of that is reinforced by, you know, the way that the game then reacts to your decisions, uh, you know, through the random deck of the, or the random draw of the outbreak cards.
0: I think that you're completely right, Jake. And I think one thing that's interesting here, the environmental theme, the presentation of pandemic, there's a lot of imagery uh, that matches with the board that I think gives it this feeling of like planning of being at the helm of directing this fight against uh, the pan, the pandemic. I guess in pandemic, it's really four pandemics of diseases breaking out at once um, that sort of play into how the decisional theming actually makes you feel like you're making these decisions uh, about trying to, okay, we really need to put some resources into directing what's happening in New York. And then to your point, the mechanical theming, the the way that disease spreads by there being a density leading to a breakout, amazing mechanical theming. It the, just tracks. Even, yeah, exactly. Even movement in that game, how, okay, I'm going to actually spend a card so that I'm going to take a flight and then that lets me jump to the city rather than just moving a short amount of distance using action points or once we've cured a disease the cubes of disease just fly off the board really good mechanical theming to be clear when I'm
1: playing this game I don't feel like if I'm the medic like right, I don't feel like I'm a medic and I I'm healing people you know yeah. what I do feel like you know the kind of the role playing part the way the decisional theme comes out as we're making decisions happens when you know, I'm communicating with the other players at the table. Uh, what should we do? What should we prioritize? Oh, if we go over there, then like Venezuela is going to be really bad. If we draw that out of the top of the deck, it feels like we are, you know, CDC people talking about this global strategy and how we're going to fight this. And I think it really works.
0: And I think you, especially as you're playing a a version of Pandemic that's more difficult than your group is ready for, you feel the stress of it too, right? Like you really, when when a disease breaks out, it really feels like calamity is occurring. So go for it.
1: I would say just a couple other, and we won't touch on these nearly as long, but I think another example of high, high, high would be uh, time stories. And that's actually an example where I think uh, I did mention like where limited communication really brings you into the role of of somebody who's like back in time, uh, and I think the way the game explains it is like, well, like you're back in time, uh, you know, taking over these people's bodies, so like you can kind of psychically communicate with people, but it's not perfect. So mm-hmm. when I look at a, a painting in that game, it's up to me to like remember the details and kind of communicate what it looks like to the other players, but I can't show them that because we're in different rooms right we're in different spaces um and i think it works really well there the theme you know is really engaging and engrossing and i just think the way the time loop works where you're playing through this scenario until you run out of time and then you have to restart it and can work through it more efficiently is just like a genius mechanical touch and you know people Uh, Some people love the game, some people don't care for it at all. I'm kind of in the middle, but I think it really fits in this category that just does all of these things at a really high level.
0: To your point just there, Jake, I, I think that we'd be remiss not to mention, and I'm sort of sticking it into these examples, but that none of these types of theming is right. They're just different ways that games can represent theme. And I think that as we discuss this, it might be useful for you as a listener to think through why you're drawn to certain games over other games or why other people are drawn to certain games that you aren't drawn to. And I think this lens might be really illustrative of why that is the case for games that you didn't understand previously. And there might be trends in games that you love that other people don't and other people love and you just don't get it. And it might have to do with the way in which the theme is realized. But can we hop into high, high, low, Jake? Yes, but last thing, I think... And I'm not, neither of
1: us are very experienced in 18xx games, but I think that 18xx goes in this category of high, high, high. Mm. If you're somebody that's experienced with 18xx, uh, let us know in our Discord or, or on Twitter. I, I want to know what you think about this, but I, I wonder too, just as like, uh, you know, food for thought, like perhaps that's part of the reason why this genre games is so beloved mm. because it does all of these things. At a really successful level that's really interesting
0: yeah come into our discord link in the show notes and let us know your thoughts on that one and i know we have some fans of 18x games already in our discord who will probably jump in on that as well the next is an example of a high environmentally themed high mechanical themed and a low decisional themed game Uh, and the example that i have is the lost ruins of arnak Uh, the environmental theming is great the mechanical theming we kind of discussed this already uh, is, is strong. You're doing research, you're discovering these different things. The The mechanical theming of some of the cards is actually pretty good also. like There's an airplane card that lets you jump ahead of other people and how far you can explore just mechanically within the game. But I never actually feel like I'm researching anything and I never really feel like I'm exploring anything in Arnak. So that's why the decisional theming just isn't there for me. But the rest of the theme, I think it's done really, really well.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to do another one of the food for thought because this is another blind spot for me. Uh, but I wonder if, you know, people talk about Vital Lacerda games as, you know, these super thematic, uh, you know, and highly technical, mechanical uh, games. I think, I wonder if the, his games primarily go in this category too. Uh, you know, I do own...
0: A question. Yeah, I, I've only played Vinos, um, and I, which I own, and I really enjoy. And I do think that Vinos might fall into this category. Um, I don't necessarily feel like I'm actually like growing wine uh, and then selling it that much. It, it's just the way that the, it's implemented with all the systems don't feel that way. Um, so I think that you could be right. And I was actually going to bring. The Gallerist stuff, if I had played it, I'd really wonder about how, within the nature of this conversation, it relates to modern art. So I think those games might really be sort of inverse takes on the same sort of idea. Um, but yeah. Cool. Well, let's jump right on to the next
1: category, uh, which is high, low, high. So high environmental, low mechanical, uh, but then high decisional again. Um, and a co- so one of the examples for this, for me, is one of my favorite games of all time, the Arkham Horror mm-hmm. LCG, um, which is you know a, a a living card game. The theme is the environmental theme is great. There's really strong narrative. You get to read a little intro to each scenario, and then based on what actions you took, how your campaign unfolded, uh you'll get different endings and different conclusions, like all that A plus environmental theme. The mechanical theme, though, is To me, it's, you know, it's kind of low. It's a, you know, it's a card game. Like you're drawing cards, you know, cards do different things, but like what what is drawing cards? Like what am I in this game, right? I'm like moving a person around the board, but I don't, you know, you know, but like, it's just a little bit, rough right and then you're you're not rolling dice but you are drawing random tokens out of a bag which is how you determine outcomes in almost all cases um you know which it does make sense but it's to me not super strong mechanical maybe somebody would disagree uh but the theme like the decisional theme of the game comes through so strong like Mm. every time i reach my hand into the chaos bag to pull out a token like i'm actually like so nervous, like please don't be the skull, or and and that absolutely comes into the decision making process as I'm playing mm-hmm. the game. Like you're thinking about that, you're scared of like what the bad results could be. Uh, you know, you do feel like in those moments you're embodying the agent in the game. Uh, so for me, I think that this is a high, low, high. I think the same is true for almost all the same reasons for a game like uh, Mansions of Madness second edition where you know you're there's great environmental theme you're exploring this mansion but like what you're actually doing in the game when you're like exploring and doing skill checks leaves a lot to be desired i'd say uh but then again right it's like you're having this like fun story and it's really easy to like get into the characters so i think That makes sense for me. And I I just think like generally these kind of like dungeon crawly games might be in this category. I
0: think it's really interesting that in the context of a low mechanical theming game, you brought up skill checks because I think that might track uh, in a lot of ways. Like the reason why people are drawn to a game like Dungeons and Dragons is not necessarily because of the mechanical theming of the game. It works as a framework to affix all of the other things that are really excited. And I know some people probably are and that's what's exciting to them about the game. But I think for a lot of people, it's the decisional theming of Dungeons and Dragons that gets them the most excited to actually feel like you're you're doing what your agents in the game are doing as you role play. So I think skill checks are, are usually a way to have the mechanics get out of the way and let the game and the other things that you want to shine, shine. And that's a totally valid for games to play that way. Okay, moving on high, low, low. So this is a really fascinating category where the environmental theming of a game is delivered incredibly strongly, whereas the mechanical theming and the decisional theming might not really be quite as strongly delivered. And Jake and I have two examples here, and one of them is actually an episode of the show that we had a very contentious BGG conversation about with people, and I think it's in part because of the theme that people are so drawn to it, and that's terraforming Mars. Uh, Jake... You know my feelings about the game. It's not one of my favorite games, Um, but I do think that its environmental theming is excellent. The board is quite evocative, and the uh, all of the naming and the flavor of the cards is really good. Mechanically, the cards don't necessarily always do what I would expect them to do. Like the pets card doesn't necessarily have that much to do with whatever pets on Mars might be, but it's cool. And it has good environmental theming. Pets on Mars, that's a cool premise. Um, And I I don't generally, when I'm playing Terraforming Mars, even really feel like I'm terraforming Mars. Like as I'm adding pieces to the board, I don't really feel like I'm terraforming it. I feel like I'm just putting my forest token there because that's the right place to put the forest token and i'm not really even thinking about it right, like i put much. my ocean
1: here and that means i get to draw a card like yeah okay great
0: yeah <laughs> but this is a game that has a ton of fans because the environmental theming works so successfully th- for them and there are people who wear that environmental theming is enough for them and then they enjoy the gameplay um even if the thematic elements aren't necessarily delivered the game is still enjoyable yeah i do think that's an interesting one and i think uh people could very justifiably
1: disagree and, and say that for them, it is a strong mechanical theme game. And I think even in our episode, we talked about how like, you know, this is a simulation type game, which I think simulation is typically going to kind of be hand in hand with mechanical theming. But I do agree with you. Like for me, there, there's just, there's just a lot that kind of feels like very much like it's for the game. Game first. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the most obvious example here, and it's going to be one that a lot of people know and love for the theme, as do I, and that's Wingspan. So, you know, Wingspan has like just the most wonderful theme, in my opinion, beautiful art, some of the best art. uh, And it's just like all these great birds. There's tons of information on the birds, um, but like the mechanics of the game, like drawing bird cards, you know, what is that? like placing eggs on birds for points like yes you know birds do lay eggs but like play you know what i mean like oh i have to like place an egg or i have to like take away an egg from a bird to you know put it in it like put a different bird in play or i have to do two eggs to put a bird in play it's you know i there is like enough connection there like it all fits in with the environmental theming um but like when you're actually playing the the game itself, I don't you know it it does fall short of something that would be much more of like a simulation of birding or
0: or something else. One thing that's really interesting about this example, and I completely agree it's like for me, it came to mind first, is I think that wingspan is some of the best environmental theming in a game. I've ever seen, Um, and that's partially why it's so successful. The, The eggs are gorgeous, the birdhouse is beautiful, the art's all incredible. And for this reason, I think I can convince, or not even convince, just Wingspan might be the heaviest game that I can get someone who doesn't often play games, to be interested in and excited about playing. The environmental theming alone makes them want to jump into that game, but the way that the mechanical theming plays out can make that transition to actually playing the game a little bit rough if the person doesn't have a lot of experience learning the new mechanics in games. Well, you've got to run your bird engine, just like in real life, where you it,
1: take the one <laughs> bird exactly. and the, that does something. And then, But yeah, and I, I do think, again, right? it's important to highlight like this is... Not a good or a bad thing. Yeah. There's, you know, a high, high, high game is not like inherently better in any way than a low, low, low game, right? It's just a different way to categorize it. And it also doesn't mean there isn't any mechanical theming in Wingspan, you know, like the fact that different birds correspond to actual environments uh, that you would find them is really nice. And, you know, the fact that they're eating different foods relevant to what they uh actually eat and and, you know in some of the actions like predatory birds have a certain type of action there is nice mechanical theming in the game too but like overall to me there's too many like disconnects to put it into like a high mechanical theme category
0: yeah definitely i think that that's really true and the next category is an interesting one low high high so low Go for it, Jake. I'd say,
1: yeah, yeah. Low environmental theme, but high mechanical theme and high decisional theme. To me, this was like, as I was playing through this list, this was the hardest one for me to come up with any games. So I'm really interested to hear what other people might say for this category. Uh, what I came up with was uh, fighting game simulators. Yeah. So like BattleCon and Exceed, uh, I think are good examples where you could you know, yes, there is, like, a narrative of, like, the War of Indines in Battlecon, but it could, like, very easily be rethemed as anything, and, as, and and point to that, like, Exceed actually does have all kinds of different uh, themes, uh, you know, skinned onto it, different IPs, like Street Fighter, you know, other, other things. So for me, like, you know, the environmental theme is pretty low. What ultimately the game is, is several spaces, and that's yeah. your You know, whole board, and that's your movement from space to space. But, uh, you know, the mechanical theme in BattleCon, I'll use as as my example here, where you're, you know, choosing to create your different like attacks by combining a base, you know, your stance. uh, So maybe it's, and then an an attack. So maybe it's like a quick kick, or I want to do the quick jab, or I want to do like the lightning kick, or the lightning jab. And you're like creating these different moves is super cool and really does like bring you know make sense with like a fight uh that a person you know a fighter would have different stances different moves and different ways to combine them and then i think too you know thematically like when i play this game like do i feel like i'm having a fight like i'm i'm the agent like interacting in this fight uh i kind of do right if i if i choose to do a step back because i know my opponent's going to you know, do their powerful punch and I dodge it uh, or I do like a big block at the right moment and uh, was able to like anticipate and I'm engaging in that donkey space as we uh, talk about, it does feel like, you know, I'm actually, you know, having that thematic fight with someone.
0: Yeah, because that's how fights actually happen. Um, Totally. I'm I completely agree with you, Jake. I think that's the best example we're going to get, frankly. Uh, And I do think that those games fall in that category. So I'm really impressed that you pulled that out. I am going to let you take the next one. This is low <laughs> low environmental, high mechanical, low decisional theming. Yeah, right. Okay.
1: So a game <laughs> that doesn't have very much environmental theme, does have strong mechanical theme and no uh, uh, decisional theme to come up. This one came to me rather quickly. And I think this might be where sports fit in. So mm. if you think about disc golf, you know what is the theme of disc golf? I don't know. What's the mechanics of disc golf? Playing golf with discs, home run, a plus. Here, you know, do I feel like I'm
0: a disc? No. (laughs) And I think you know this might break down a little bit for sports, but another example: basketball. Hello,
1: basketball. (laughs) Mechanical theme, a plus. What's the what's the actual what's the environmental theme of basketball? I don't know uh but you know it is a game about basketball and you know there you have it it's right in the mechanics
0: i think that's a very interesting take i will also say if anyone can think of a board game example of a low environmental high mechanical low decisional i would love to hear it um it's so hard dice right i think dexterity games truly do fit here jenga As much as Jenga is an onomatopoeia, right? Like, if the premise is Jenga, if Jenga is like the onomatopoeia of things falling, then like, I don't know. This one's really hard.
1: I think Tumbling Dice is another home run.
0: Yeah. 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 This category is tough. And I think it's only natural that there's some types of uh, arrangements of theming. Like, it makes some sense that like a highly mechanical themed game with pretty low. Uh, environmental theming and low decisional theming is hard to think of because they so closely relate into one another. And it's tough for the mechanics of a game to feel thematic without strong supporting in terms of what the subject is and how they would play into it.
1: Yeah, okay. Okay. So maybe a little bit of a stretch on that one. But yeah, if you can come up with a better example than basketball for low, high, low, please let us know. I'll be really interested to hear what people come up with. Uh, this next one, I think, is less of a a cheat or a stretch. Uh, so low, low, high. So the only thing strong here is the decisional space. And, um, I think this is probably the category of social deduction games, or at least those are the ones that fit in here really well. I mean, you can play the game werewolf, right? With a deck of cards. Um, you know, so that's, you know, a deck of playing cards even. Uh, so that's really low environmental theme, right? It's 100% theater of the mind. Uh, the mechanics, you know, are, are can be a little bit of a stretch, especially if you talk about like winning or losing the game, like in a game of resistance, like you're playing uh, best, best three out of five, you know, you're just like arbitrarily taking turns being the leader. Uh, you know, th- those are maybe a little bit disconnected for the way Uh, that theme would actually be enacted in real life. But as we've already discussed, like when you're actually in the portion of the game where you're making decisions, which in those decisions are who to trust, you know, who to take out of the game because I trust them the least. That's some like the richest uh, decision space theming that I think I've ever encountered in games.
0: I, yeah, slam dunk. I agree. A lot of social deduction games fit here. Also, you also had Werewolf Down, which is of course true, Mafia. Um, things like this. But I think that one thing that's so interesting is now that we're applying this lens, it's forcing me to think like, okay, what is a social deduction game with high environmental theming look like? Um, And I want to play that game, right? So in my mind, it's like, okay, we're going to have all of these objects that are small. So they're like punch out cardboard something that become important to the way in which the game plays out. And we're like interacting with each other and us possessing this object becomes our hidden information, right? So like, if I can present to you, Jake, this like special letter That has some implications in the game, and I'm physically showing that to you. I think that could be an example of a high environmental-themed social deduction game that sounds really cool to me. That I can't think of an example for that exists.
1: Totally, yeah, yeah. I mean, game designers, you know, maybe this can be a a useful tool to kind of come up with some creative stuff that might not be out there, Or, or you know, to understand why other games have made such a big mark and resonated Mm. with people uh another i haven't actually played it but uh you know blood on the clock tower when it came out was this like huge huge thing and i wonder if that was you know again i haven't played it so maybe this isn't the case but just from what i've heard about it perhaps that's the case of a social deduction game that upped the mechanical theming by like adding all these different roles and the ways they interact with each other to kind of take this you know, tried and true uh, thematic decision space, but like you know, up the mechanical theme.
0: Interesting. That leaves us with the lowest of the low: the low environmental theme, the low mechanical theme, and the low decisional theming, where you just don't feel like you're doing what the subject of the game is at all. And one of the games that Jake and I have as an example is one of our. It made both of Jake and I's top tens, uh, and I think that, if anything, should speak to what we've been saying that it. These are not value judgments. And that game is Castles of Burgundy. What What the heck? What, what even? Okay, the Castles of Burgundy. Is that the setting? It doesn't even like seem like the setting. Why is it called the Castles of Burgundy? Why is it not like the Kingdoms of Burgundy? Because half of my board, only four small squares are castles. First of all, most of my gameplay is, is farming, bringing these animals together, shipping goods, or building buildings. So what's going on there? And then do I feel like I'm running a castle in Burgundy? No. It has nothing to do with that. It's yeah, absolutely,
1: a hundred percent agree. This is a low, low, low game. And one thing I I think of just hearing you talk about it made me think of I, Quinn's from Shut Up and Sit Down did a review of Castle Burgundy that I saw ages ago. That kind of came down to it's like, what is this game come down to? It's like, well, did you fill up your burgundy? If yes, <laughs> great. If no, well, shit. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's like that's the game, a hundred percent. And what is that? who who the heck knows but you know it's a ton of fun to play uh the decisions are rich and great they're just not thematic yeah. in really any way
0: uh a lot of abstract games like no i guess not even yeah a lot of abstract games probably fall into this category checkers we had down i would also say games uh that aren't necessarily games that a lot of people who listen to this podcast would be excited to play could fall into this like bingo is probably a low 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 um I, there's, there's not a lot of mechanical integration there and you don't really feel like, I, I don't know. And the, well, it's just a word in a way that something like the mind, which has, is a game that has an evocative name like bingo does. You actually do feel some amount of that subject of the word of the mind within how it plays out mechanically in the game.
1: Okay. I'm so glad you brought up the mind. Cause that was the other limited communication example that I wanted mm. to bring up where I think Against all odds, like the mind is actually has a really strong decisional theming Mm. to me. Like I really, you know, it's it's so silly because it's this like game about being like psychic with your friends. And man, like that really feels like when I'm playing this game, like I'm being psychic with my friends. Like if I split my card just before somebody else does and they were one card away from each other and we got it right, it's just like... It's like a magic, I I always describe this game as like, it's not, it's more of a magic trick than a game, but it like, it works so well. And I think it really does create this rich decisional theme, like everything from, you know, and it's the simple touches, it's the lack of communication, but it's also the fact that everybody has to put their palms down on the table before the round to like psychically connect. And, you know, it's the simple touches that just bring out the magic in that game.
0: I think that's another great example of a low, high, high, like Battlecon, like you mentioned fighting games, because the environmental theming, like it's sort of why the only environmental theming of that game is the title. And then beyond that, you have like rabbits and shurikens and none of it helps you play the game. It's just like more baggage to explain. But the mechanics of not talking, using your mind and the decision, the decisional theming, I agree completely there. Great example of low, high, high. Um, We got I'm, I'm going to add it to the notes, but... Can we just talk about one more game? And it wouldn't be a Decision Space podcast if we didn't. And that game is El Grande. You've put this in the disagreement category. Tell me why. Well, you had it originally listed as
1: medium, low, medium. (laughs) And then I went through the notes and I decided, nope, we're just only doing binary. It makes more sense. We can't have mediums in here. (laughs) So if I had to choose, I think it's going to be a low, low... low Low. for me and i think that um honestly like just like castles of burgundy uh sort of a lot of these um classic dry euros classic dry euros are gonna be low 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 games for me um just because (laughs) you know the environment yeah sure it's there is you know yes we're in spain okay
0: (laughs) Okay, here's where I was coming from. It was, I think El Grande is aspirationally trying to be a high environmental theme with its use of the Castillo and the Grande token. Um, and I think also just the presentation with the map, it decisionally, if I'm, I, I don't totally know what I am in that game. I think I'm like a, uh, uh, like Doge or like, no, that's Italy, like a knight of some kind trying to like build... Some sort of influence in these different regions around the king. Pooping your the cubes Gonde. all over the board. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel. Like I'm a lord trying to like have more control than other lords of these spaces. I think I do have some double think with the the simultaneous card play or the, the way in which the numbers come out. But yeah, you're right. It's it's pretty low overall. But I think it's an interesting case study in looking at what the game is trying to do and maybe what it accomplished and why it succeeds in general. Which is that the decisions themselves are just excellent.
1: And honestly, that might be just we talked about how fresh and new that game feels when we uh, covered it from our normal perspective of decision space. But it actually might be in its environmental theming where it is actually showing its age.
0: Yeah. You know, if
1: that came out today uh, and the board just looked a little bit, you know, uh, nicer. You know, if it had some great, you know, tool art and maybe there, you know, there the Castillo was a a plastic miniature and the El Grande looked like a person, then I'd feel like it actually does have high environmental theme.
0: And your cubes were little, little settlements or castles exactly. or something.
1: Yeah. You know, but because of, you know, it's blocks of wood and a beige board with like no detail at all, the size and outline of Spain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, perhaps that's really uh, speaking more to the game as, as a period in time uh, and, and how, You know, our expectations for theme is shifting with Kickstarter and, you know, all these incredible productions that we have in gaming today.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's very on the nose, Jake. So as we close out this podcast, I think for my closing thoughts, I just want to say that I hope that this lens of uh, the three different types of ways that games basically convey their theme through environmental theming, mechanical theming. And decisional theming equips you with a new tool to look at and think about games. Um, Jake, what are your what are your closing thoughts as you sort of reflect on our new lens here? Yeah, I, thanks for this
1: conversation, Brendan. I think it was a really great one. My closing thoughts are really just a bunch of questions for our audience because I think this is the start of a really interesting conversation. But I want to know if people uh, can come up with their own examples these categories? You know, can you complete the challenge and, and and fill out our whole entire list here with games that we didn't mention? Um, but I also want to know, are, do you find when you look at your top 10 list that, wow, actually, it turns out a lot of my favorite games fit into one of these categories? You know, can could this be a useful tool to you moving forward perhaps to, you know, think about whether it's a game you might enjoy or not, or maybe it's a way to think about like, hey, I actually have a gap in my collection. I don't have any of these type of games. I should check one out uh, next time I'm at a board game cafe or something like that. Uh, So yeah, I mean, really just excited to hear what people have to say. Uh, Do you agree with us about the categories? And uh, just can't wait
0: to hear your thoughts. Awesome. Well, with that, I would like to remind everyone that you can Connect with Decision Space on Twitter at Decision Spa. You can find me, Brendan Hansen, there at BurnsideBH. And you can find Jake at JakeFRYD. And you can also interact with the show on Board Game Geek. We have a blog there where we post new episodes every week. Uh, comment and let us know how you feel. If you don't want to come into the Discord for more in-depth conversation, uh, you can find the link to the Discord in the show notes. And as always, thank you to Hembree for their song reach out for our introduction and outro thanks everyone have a good week